I always think of Get Carter when I cross the railway bridge into Newcastle, even though in the book, by Ted Lewis, Carter actually gets up at Doncaster. And I'm not returning to my hometown to avenge the death of my brother. I'm here to have lunch with my sister. She's Lucy Brownlee, I'm Nick Brownlee, and this is Brownlee and Brownlee's Unsung Book Club. I've just walked up from uh, Central Station and I'm now standing at the foot of Grey's Monument right in the centre of town. Or as it's more commonly known in Newcastle, the Monument. And uh, the noise you can hear in the background is not Fleetwood Mac. It's a guy with long hair playing an electric guitar just outside the, the entrance of the metro station. Um, this is actually one of his quieter numbers. Uh, every time I've been here over the last few months, he's normally playing Led Zeppelin or Van Halen or something like that, which is all very well, but uh, he must drive everybody in the vicinity insane. Never mind. You've got to make a living, haven't you? Although I haven't seen anybody dropping any money in his uh, cup. Still, I'm killing time. She's late as usual. Well, that's just the way it is. Kids these days, eh? Here she comes, striding towards me from Phoenix, looking very glam in her uh, oversized fly-like sunglasses. <laughs> Time do you call this? Sorry? What time do you call this? 11 a.m., isn't it? Explain your tune. <laughs> Anyway, I was, I've, been told, I've been told that you're wearing a pair of Corbin-esque trousers today. Where are they? Ah, I took them off. Michael Portillo. <laughs> I'm just wearing a Corbin-esque hat. <laughs> um, right, is it lunchtime yet? Yes. Come on then. It hasn't really changed much, Newcastle, has it? I mean, there's, uh, there's, it's kind of still as it was, despite the fact that it's... I, I completely disagree, it's completely changed. Beyond all recognition. Like what? The Yo Sushi over there, isn't it? Well, there's Yo Sushi and there's... Yeah, there's <laughs> oh, God. A new Do Sushi box. So anyway, we're on our way now to um, the bar where I had my book launch of my, uh, my book, Life After You. Um, and what was that then? Uh, <laughs> what, the Did Sunday you... Times bestseller. Oh, yeah, that Richard one. Richard and Judy Book Club pick, uh -huh. 2015. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that one that you never read? No, I... You were so seething with jealousy. <laughs> I didn't read. Uh, look, I might just get some grapes. <laughs> no, it, right, uh, come on, this way, this all way. All right, so this we're, way. we're heading towards where this is the Granger Market. This is the Granger Market. Now, the Granger Market is actually, I'll grant you that, it hasn't changed in the... They had um, a great, the council came up with a great PR slogan for the Granger Market. Do you know what it was? What was it? Don't be a stranger, come to the Granger. <laughs> Sounds like one of yours, huh? <laughs> I know, I was seething with jealousy when I... But, uh, you spend your life seething with jealousy, I don't you? People just beat him into the punch. <laughs> don't be a stranger, come... So, uh, right, we're walking so up this... So this place is called um, Number 28, and it's very cool. Oh, is it right? Yeah. And is this why I decided to have your book launch? It's yeah. very small as well, isn't it? <laughs> Right. It was ample for my needs. Yes, you, the barman, and somebody... <laughs> and uh, you drinking, quaffing the free wine. Yeah, well, I, had to, just, I was there to support you. <laughs> right, well, let's go and have a look in here. Then. It's shut. Shut down. <laughs> All right, come on, we'll go to Phoenix. Never recovered. All right, come on then. 
So now we're on our way to Phoenix as part of our magical mystery tour of Newcastle. When was the last time you were in Phoenix? And there was uh, the Phoenix toy department was the the, the big yeah, thing. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. But uh, I stopped going when I was about 32 to that. So. <laughs> no. Come to get me. Go, go, go! Oh, hang on, don't get. You might get it by a bus. Uh, how's your um, skinny frappuccino, latte, cappuccino, Nicaraguan coffee? Are you referencing the fact we're sitting in the Tyneside Cinema by any chance? Yeah, it's really cool, isn't it? Tyneside Cinema. I always used to love the Tyneside Cinema. I haven't been for years, but um, it's always good for Romanian... Um, subtitled uh, film. Subtitled film, yeah. Yeah, I, it was, it's always been the same, actually. I, when I used to come here, it was a bit grottier, but um, it was where people used to hang out with their beards. Um, and so was, the it, was the beard compulsory? Yeah, even for women. Well, that was fortunate, because I'm growing a nice one at the minute. I, 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 didn't, I didn't like to mention it. Since I've hit 40, I'm growing a beard and actually a moustache, I noticed the other day. Well, you should uh, encourage it, really. You can get some beard oil while we're here. <laughs> Is beard oil a new thing? Yeah, apparently so. It's, uh, you know, for, for the hipsters. Yeah. Well, have, you, have you come across it before as a man in um, the men's department? Well, beards were always like for history teachers and, and mm. sort of weirdos, but now since it's been fashionable... Um, you can sort of buy all sorts of beer, beer accoutrements. <laughs> but uh, it's funny actually because I'm looking across the road here and um, it, it used to be the Odeon Cinema. Because oh, there, there was the Odeon, and then, which was the sort of mainstream one, and then opposite, directly opposite, was the Tyneside, mm. which was. Oh. And, um, but now the Odeon's gone and it seems to have been replaced by a shanty town. <laughs> Stack. What is it? Stack? It is container, those containers, ship container things. It's been. Uh, you know, transformed into a social and cultural hub. Ah. So yeah, so the um, so the Odeon. Did you come and see much there? I did actually. Um, there was one time when the old man was working for Time TV Television, and they had a premiere here. He was big buddies with the manager of the Odeon, and had a premiere of Octopussy, <laughs> and it was the big Bond film, and. Um, I was really—I I got dressed up in a, in a tuxedo, and the two of us came down here, and it was the big first night. You know how they normally have big celebrities turning up to premieres. Yeah. Do you know who they sent? Q. Q. The guy who plays Q. Oh, Q. <laughs> <laughs> had a random Bond girl who was in it for like one second, and Q. And I, and I thought, well, that kind of sums up Newcastle, really. In terms Q ball. <laughs> and he sort of stood up, and the, the manager of the uh, Odeon went. And now our special guest, <laughs> Q. And he saw everybody just looked at each other and went, oh, that's not the best you can do, like. It's not a bad draw, is he Q? Well, he's pretty Do you know what? Do you, do you know what? I've never ever seen a Bond film, so I have no idea who you're talking about. So you're not into the sort of who's going to be the next Bond debate? I'm not remotely interested. Oh, I'm not re- interested on the basis that I think they've... Because you, you would be in the Tyneside cinema, wouldn't you? Just sort of... yeah, I was watching a Romanian subtitled <laughs> film. <laughs> well, I was in the room watching Greece. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was, and I was seven at the time. Oh, you <laughs> But you didn't need the subtitles. <laughs> no. Anyway, we're going up in the lift now to a Thai restaurant at the top of Eldon Square. Hey, it's groovy. <laughs> Abortive lunch trip. We're too early. Do not do Thai brunch. Looks like it's going to be Greg's soon. Well, it, well, in Newcastle, the home of Greg's. I will go back. It's 20, 20, 20 minutes away, isn't it?
Well, this is very nice. Well, it was just a question of who was going to blink first, wasn't it, on the drink? <laughs> it's only half ten. <laughs> so we're, um, what's this bar called? Dirty e. Nellies or something, did you say? Dirty Bastards, I think. Like that. <laughs> no, that's us. <laughs> anyway, cheers. So, uh, what have you been up to? Anything interesting? Um, you know that's a loaded question, don't you? You want me to ask you what you've been up to, yeah, don't you? What, yeah. have you been, what have you been up well, to? Well, it's quite interesting, actually, because um, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I've been writing a psychological thriller, and I sent off the first 100 pages to my new agent, mm. um, and I had the, the then sort of 10-day tenterhooks wait to see whether it would be worth continuing with, whether she liked it or not. Yes, it? yes. Um, and I got it back, and she said, I like it. Mm. But the, the problem was, it was um, it's written first person in the voice of a woman and she said what do you know about the voice well, of a woman well I was sort of channeling my inner femininity but no she said um, she said it was very good but she did, when she read it she didn't believe that it was a woman and, and so she says I've got to change it to, to a male voice really yeah why didn't she believe that it was a woman I don't know she said she, when she read it she said that it was um, it was too masculine the tone. I mean, the, the woman is the, the main character is a bit of a nutter. Why have you written it in the voice of a woman? Because that was the whole point. It was sort of it's it's a woman. It's a sort of I'm not going to go into the plot. Is it a big reveal that it's a woman? No, 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 no. It's it's right from the start. No, she's a woman. But I was just wondering whether you know what a feminine sort of narrator sounded like. Well, the problem with you is, and I don't mean this in a kind of Hemingway-esque way, but you're hyper-masculine. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. You're a, you're a public schoolboy, you know. You've rugby playing. Twat. Uh, no, well, but you know. I, I, I just my question is, what do you know about writing in the female voice? Well, I, I, see, my theory is that it's it's what's the difference? You know, I would suggest there's a big difference. Why what? I mean, if if you've got a woman who's who's talking, and I don't I don't believe that women and men think that differently or talk that differently. <sighs> We so do. I, I, I can't seek to understand you, people. <laughs> Our gender. <laughs> but you see, I mean, the thing is, I mean, she said you change it to a sort of um, a feminine sort of tone or a more feminine tone, feminise it. And I was thinking, well, how the hell do I do that? I mean, what words do I put in? It's not about words, though, is it? It's about, it is about tone and it's about life experience and... You know, where but you... she's a 50-year-old she's woman, okay. right? And she lives with her mother, and she's, you know, she's not a sort of woman. Is this based on me? <laughs> no. Uh, well, no. Um, <laughs> but I thought, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, anyway. But so I've, I've now I'm, I'm in the process of changing it. But uh, I was quite upset that the fact that well, I wasn't upset, but I was quite pissed off because I thought, yeah, I've, I've nailed this. It's quite easy to write as a woman. So, at what point do you, um, as what point as a writer, give then, up. do you give up? No, seriously. What point? I'm, I'm not never... talking about give up writing. I'm talking about giving up on a particular project. I think you've just got. I mean, I've got, I've got over five or six different projects sort of filed away. Because it is devastating, isn't it, when you've invested time, money, and sweat, blood, and tears in something, and then. But that's why I send them nobody now. Nobody likes it. I know, but that's why I now I have to send them a hundred pages. 
and so I've sent this agent 100 pages rather than say, right, I'm going to plough through it and write 70,000 words, 80,000 words, yeah. and then for it to turn around and say, no, I don't like it. Yeah. So you just keep banging stuff and you know, eventually something will stick. No, I have to say, I'm, uh, I'm a bit taken aback that you're writing in a female voice. I just never... Uh you know, metrosexual, you know? Metrosexual? Have you got your beard oil? Well, I was going to say, I might have to get some of that. Yeah. But um, are you writing anything at the moment? Well, my book, um, the one for which I won a Northern Writers Award... Um, What's um, it about? Or have I already asked you this before? On this podcast? <laughs> have I already asked I've that this morning? I've told you this so many times. All uh, right, go on, tell Is us Is it again. worth me telling you again? Yeah, tell us again. It's about a toxic relationship between two girls that begins in childhood and continues into adulthood when the uh, the bully out of the two suddenly reappears in the other's life. So it's set over two time periods, and one's, one in the 80s and one in the... Uh, it comes back in 2014. And uh, there's a big twist at the end of it. And is it finished? Finished? Sent yeah, off. second draft, sent off. To, to who? The agent? Your agent? Or is it, is it gone further it's than that? It's gone further than that, but I can't talk about it. Oh. <laughs> because it would compromise my artistic integrity if I did. <laughs> you don't have any artistic integrity. <laughs> Absolutely none whatsoever. You, even less than me. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> um, but what I do in the meantime, and I actually, and you know, because you got you have to keep flexing your writing muscle, otherwise it, uh, you know, it's like any other muscle, it just wastes away. So um, what I'm doing at the minute is, uh, I'm in between doing teaching, I am sort of applying to short story competitions. All right. Because I find that, you know, they give you a creative trigger to write to, and um, I find that very helpful. So I've got a couple of short stories off or, uh, at, in competitions at the minute as well. What, the BBC 500 words? <laughs> yeah. Lucy Brownlee, age eight. Yeah, yeah. So what, do you, do you know, know any short story writers? Are you sort of knocking around the short, are they very short? <laughs> <laughs> the one I've met actually is of um, the same size as me, um, and she is the author that we're featuring on today's pod. Oh, nice, nice segue. Nice segue. Vicky Groot's short stories have appeared in new writing anthologies published by Picador, Granta, Duckworths, Serpent's Tale, Bloomsbury, and Harvard Review in the States. Her non-fiction essay, Into the Valley, was mentioned in Best American Essays 2013, and her short story collection, Live Show, Drink Included, was published by Holland Park Press in October last year. Here's an extract from one of the stories, A Saucer of Sweets. Laura didn't look up, but she could feel Natasha travelling towards her across the open plan office like an electrical storm. I've had it with this guy, Natasha said, slamming a file on Laura's desk. You'll have to take over. Take him to lunch. Bat your eyelashes or whatever it is you do. I've got to focus on the book fair. She walked off without waiting for a reply. Tell her no, Laura, Anna hissed. The book's way behind schedule and it's all her fault. Don't let her dump it on you. Laura ran a finger over the pale brown cover. Dark Knights and Fair Ladies, Tales from the Court of Love. She didn't like to turn down a challenge. Besides, Natasha wasn't someone you said no to. Well, it's it's a collection that ha- has really taken a very long time to get together because I, the first of the stories, um, all of, nearly all of them have been published, apart from, I think there's one story 
uh, called Rich that hasn't um, previously been published. But the very first of the stories came out in the early 1990s, I think 93 or 94. One of them was published in um, in a magazine uh, called Metropolitan Magazine, which was um, uh, started in Manchester. Since that point, it took a very, very long time for me to to actually feel like I had a collection. I um, I continued publishing stories here and there. I'm not particularly pr- prolific. <laughs> I, it takes me a long time before I feel a story is ready. So over the intervening years, I've been publishing one or two stories a year, something like that. There have been gaps when I've tried my hand at writing novels, and that hasn't been such a happy experience, but um, I keep coming back to the short stories. And so eventually I felt like I had enough, more or less, to put together in in a book form. The author was a medieval historian. Laura had noticed him when he was still working with Natasha, a spiky, ungainly middle-aged man with a kind face and a loud laugh. He wasn't laughing when they met for lunch, though, and Laura knew why. It was all in the file, a catalogue of badly managed disputes. Laura had chosen a quiet little restaurant. She ordered a soothing egg dish, boiled greens and a spring water. The author glared and demanded steak and a beer. Food to sustain a rage. I'm not giving up on the novel completely yet, but I mean, I do think I naturally have a clearer understanding of the short story form. You know, a novel is an enormous enterprise. And if you take that on, you're committing to a couple of years of slogging away. Um, And with a short story, not to say that it's necessarily super quick. I mean, it can be, but you can work on something and get something done in a couple of months. And it's and it's a way of trying out ideas without committing to them for years at a time, uh, you know, and you can have the same kind of depth and complexity, I think, in a short story where you're creating a world um, and you're diving into um, a, a kind of an emotional feeling or atmosphere and creating people and taking them somewhere, all the things that you do in a novel. Um, but it's not that enormous investment of time and it's not quite so heartbreaking if it doesn't if it doesn't work out. The company Laura worked for published glossy illustrated books on art and architecture, certain kinds of history, popular science, posh food. Laura, Natasha and Anna were employed to make the text fit into the spaces between pictures and to make sure it sounded clever without depressing the reader by being difficult. To do this, they had to make a lot of changes. The authors were generally specialists or obsessives, people who knew little about the marketplace. Uh, People keep um, saying, short stories are having a rebirth, short stories are... um, And they never quite sort of seem to break through into being commercially viable. But there is certainly a lot more interest in short stories and there are more sort of platforms available to short story writers now there have been a couple of very high profile prizes set up um there is the sunday times um prize which is i think worth a thirty thousand pounds for one story you know the the commercial world does pay some attention to people who do well in those places and they uh, but they do tend to want uh, a novel at the end of the day that's what they can sell that, that's what the the whole sort of traditional publishing industry is geared towards is is long books that they can s- sort of plug into into the the traditional ways of of selling but i think people writers love to write short stories and so they continue to be written 
To Kevin, the managing editor, authors were a necessary inconvenience. Clearly, he believed he'd have done a much better job of all the books if only he'd had time to become an art historian or a wildlife expert or a baker of artisanal bread. As it was, the authors handed you the raw material and you turned it into a decent product. And then, first stop, you had to sell it back to the authors as being their own work. This was where Laura excelled. She reasoned and explained. She consulted endlessly. She strained every fibre to get her authors to embrace, enjoy even, the salami slicing of their work. Um, I'm, I was taken on at one point by somebody who was quite commercial and um, he wants me to change my name because he thought it wasn't, um, you know, it, it was a strange strange name and it wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, be a good name for, for a commercial author. So I I said, okay, I'll give it a go. And, and and I said, but what about all these short stories that I've published? I, you know, isn't that, doesn't that help to, to launch a writer? And he said, oh, no, no, no. Commercial, commercial fiction is a brutal world. They're not interested in, in any little short stories. They just want a good story that they can sell. <laughs> um, so that was interesting and it didn't go anywhere. Um, uh, the, the book was, sort of politely received by the different editors that it went to, but they, they, there are certain stock phrases that you get. You know, I, I, I didn't fall in love with the characters or I, I didn't love the story enough. Or, um, so, so that was the end of that, that journey. You had to remember, Kevin always said, that readers were busy people. Or if they weren't busy, they had a short attention span. To compete against games and social media and online shopping, books had to let go of their excessively linear quality. A book, Kevin said, should no longer be seen as something that sat on a shelf reproaching you for not having finished it. A book should be like a saucer of sweets, each chapter brightly wrapped and inviting in its own right. A lot of people have commented that the stories are, are dark, whereas I see them as, um, you know, I think they're, they're quite... Um, I think there's a range of emotions in there and some of them are are a little bit, um, yes, I suppose there is a darkness there, but there's also um, a lot of them are about love and, and, and a lot of them are quite funny, I hope, um, without necessarily setting out to write funny stories. I do, I do tend to look for the kind of the odd and the quirky in life um, and I think that's there in the stories. Our thanks to Vicky Groot, and to find out more about her and her brill short stories, go to her website. That's vickygroot.com. Groot is G-R-U-T. And if you want to hear your unsung masterpiece featured on this podcast, go to our website, unsungbookclub.com, where you can find out how. We're also on Twitter, at Unsung Book Club, and we've got a Facebook page for anyone over 40. If you're listening to this podcast, then you've probably worked out how to subscribe and download it. But if it happens to come up in conversation, tell your friends that it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all good podcast directories. One more thing, if you like what you hear, leave us a review, preferably five stars. It makes us feel good, and it also helps to spread the word. Right, that's it. Time for lunch. Can't help thinking we've been here before. I know. Going heading back to the, the Thai place. Yes. Oh, yes, okay. yes, yes. Do you think Come it'll on. be open this time? Hopefully. Here's we'll the lift. Yes. Let's go. Well, this is very sophisticated, isn't it? Yeah.
face the rooftop terrace. I mean, I, I you know, I'm all in favour of global warming, but you shouldn't really be sitting outdoors in Newcastle having Thai food at the end of February. <laughs> it's, it's slightly odd. It is, actually. What are you going to have? Well, you're suggesting the Thai tapas, four for twelve ninety-five, which strikes me as a very reasonable. It's very, very reasonable. Very reasonable. Very reasonable. Um, or there's the set lunch. It's for mm. fifteen ninety-five per person. Okay. Which well, takes you on a culinary journey around Thailand. Well, why don't you choose what you want, and then I'll decide what you're going to have. <laughs> the, the music in here reminds me of. Do you remember Manfield, the, no. the shoe shop on Northumberland <laughs> Street, and they always used to play sort of bastardizations of oh, yeah. tunes. I always wondered whether there was sort of a band who never quite made it. Yeah, and who used to play, who were, who were commissioned by Manfield, to yeah. play Manfield. It was, it was known as Manfield Music. And the manager said to them, well, I'm afraid, lads, you're not going to make it stars, but Manfield had been on. Yeah. They'd like you to do some generic yeah. shoe music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's, um, you, you don't hear that much these days, do and, you? And Manfield's disappeared from our high streets. Uh, well, obviously the music was a problem. <laughs> Maybe that guy at the, um, at the monument? Ex-Manfield. Ex-Manfield? Yeah, definitely oh. ex-Manfield. Hey, it's a tough life, isn't it? Well, it's for all artists, as we know, including writers. Maybe we should do the Unsung Manfield Artist Podcast. <laughs> I'd, I'd be interested in that. Where are they now? Yes, they were the ones. Well, what do you reckon of that, then? Um, yeah. Thai tapas. Thai tapas, yeah. What's that? Pork belly. <laughs> Pork toenail. <laughs> Maybe when they were slicing up the belly, they got some toenail as well. Mind you, having, for all you complaining, there's not a, there's, every plate is empty except for the port, pork toenail. Yeah, I suppose you're right, really. Fills a hole. Fills a hole. Fills a hill. Yeah. My, it's a very, very good spot for a restaurant. I don't think I've been this close to um, Lord Grey. The Lord Grey statue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, then again, it, as, it's, as I say, it is February. It is. Never mind. You want a pudding? <laughs> a pudding, Hitty? We're opening a tin of chunks. <laughs> I'm a reach for a pudding myself, like, well, do I think you? Know? You probably need to remove that bit of crud between your teeth before <laughs> you continue. I'm saving it for later. Well, it's been nice, that lunch. It has. Wander around the tune. What are you doing now then? I'm just going to go and sit and listen to that uh, guitarist by the monument. Oh, yeah. The rest of the afternoon. I'm sure he's still there. I'm going off to um, write in an existential haze. Another short story. No, I'm, uh, I'm off to buy some shoes, actually. <laughs> right. See you later. Ta-da. Bye. Thank you.